You're listening to teaching from the Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. This morning, I want to start off with a question. What comes to your mind when you hear the name Judas? Just shout it out for me. When you hear the name Judas, what do you think of? I didn't hear any of that, what you said. Traitor. What else? Betrayal. Greed. Coward. Deceiver. Anything else? Low life, okay. We'll pray for you, but yeah. Sinner. Okay. Sad. Very sad. Yeah. Anything else? I didn't understand. Hangman's noose. Okay. Suicide. Very sad. 30 pieces of silver. Some people kind of think of that. Some people think of the kiss of betrayal. Anything else? If you're new here, like Monica said, I I want you to know that we are glad that you're here, and and we hope that you feel welcomed. I'll be out in the lobby afterwards, and we have a special gift for you that we'd love to give that to you. Uh, But we've been in a series called Follow the Leader, and we've been looking at the apostles. And, And today, we're looking at one of the most famous apostles, all for the wrong reasons, Judas. And when, I, and when we look at Judas, I think that he really wanted to start off the right direction, or at least his parents had a dream for him to be great. If you look at what his name means, it means praise Yahweh. God is praised or the praised one. And, and, and so I think they had this dream that he was going to be someone maybe great or someone who would follow the Lord. And, and if you looked at his life, he got chosen to be one of the followers, one of the apostles of Jesus. But somewhere, somewhere along the lines, he messed up. And the question I've been pondering, and something that just has really bothered me, why did Judas betray Jesus? Why did Judas betray Jesus? Someone who probably started off with so much hope, maybe raised in a Christian home, maybe went to church, maybe did all of these things, but what led him to betraying Jesus? Probably lots of different reasons, but I want to look at Matthew chapter 26. I, I think it might give us a little bit of insight. It says, when it was evening, Jesus sat down at the table with the twelve. While they were eating, he said, I tell you the truth, one of you will betray me. Greatly distressed, each one asked in turn, I am, am I the one, what? Just keep that in mind, that word Lord. He replied, one of you who just eaten from the bow with me will betray me, for the Son of Man must die, as the Scriptures declared long ago. But how terrible it will be for the one who, what? Betrays him. It would be far better for that man if he had never been born. Ouch. Judas, the one who would betray him, also asked, what did he say? Rabbi, am I the one? And Jesus told him, you have said it. Can you imagine what Judas was feeling at that moment? 
Like, man, I, I'm in trouble. And for our guest, we've been in a year-long series uh, really talking about are you all in? Are you fully committed to Christ? And, and we know that Satan will do anything he can to distract us from following Christ, and he'll help us come up with excuses and, and all of those things. When we look at though Judas from the outside, he looked like he was a man that was all in. I mean, he followed Jesus for three years. He walked the long, dusty roads. He ate with Jesus and the other apostles. He heard Jesus' sermons, his, his teachings. He saw his miracles. I mean, he spent as much time with Jesus as anyone else. He, they did ministry together. They spent time probably around a campfire telling stories. I mean, he, he saw Jesus heal people. Yeah, he spent all of this time with Jesus. But Judas, for Jesus was only rabbi for Judas. He wasn't Lord. Jesus never moved beyond rabbi for Judas. He, he was his teacher. He was his buddy. He was his friend. But he never moved beyond rabbi. He never became Lord of his life. What's it mean for Jesus to be Lord of your life? It means surrendering everything to him. The decisions that you make, you go and you consult with Christ. The person that you marry, the friends that you have in your life, the college that you go to, your, your job, your money. The house that you buy, the car that you buy, anything that's a part of your life, you surrender to God. Your kids, you, you surrender and you say, Lord, I give it over to you. I, I trust you with it more than anything else. But this is hard for us, isn't it? And I think it was hard for Judas to surrender. And as I looked at Judas and, and we think, man, he's this evil person. This guy that betrayed Jesus, he's this villain. I mean, he's this lowlife, he's this scum. But then when I began looking at his life, I realized, you know what? If I'm honest, I probably have some characteristics of Judas in my life. Do you ever have a hard time surrendering everything to Christ? I think you probably do. I, I, I know that I have a hard time at times surrendering. And sometimes I'll say, Lord, I give you all my life. And then if you're like me, you, you go back and you take a couple of things. There's been times that I think, well, God, I can fix this. And if I need your help, I'll let you know. I'm sure none of you have done that. Sometimes I'll spend time worrying about something instead of Surrendering it and giving it over to God. See, Judas may be a little bit more like us than what we want to imagine. If you look at John chapter 12, we see that Mary anoints Jesus with perfume. And we're going to see that Judas 
looks like he's doing all the right things. He's saying the right things. It says, but Judas, the disciple who would soon betray him, said, that perfume was worth a year's worth of wages. It should have been sold and the money given to the poor. Doesn't that sound spiritual? I mean, it sounds so spiritual. But then we have verse 6. Not that he cared for the poor, but he was a what? A thief. And since he was in charge of the disciples' money, he often stole some of it for himself. See, Judas, again, looked great on the outside. He knew the Christian words. He may have come to church. He may have done all of these things, but he still wasn't Lord. He wasn't letting go of everything and trusting Jesus with it. I, I, I asked myself this question this week. What led Judas into stealing money? I mean, was it that he didn't trust that Jesus would provide for him? Even though he witnessed the feeding of the 5,000. I mean, we know that Jesus could provide for the apostles at any point in time. Was it a matter of he wanted just a little bit more? Like Jesus was providing for him, but he thought, you know what? I, I want to keep just a little bit more over here on the side for me. You know, I, I'm dreaming about like this six camel big engine truck that I would like to get in the future. And so I'll just take a little bit and no one will notice. Even though he heard his Jesus' teaching on money and the warnings about money being God in his life, for whatever reason, for whatever reason, he was tempted and he stole money often. We'll see that Satan, he looks for subtle ways, little small ways to get into our life. Luke chapter 22, it says, Then Satan entered into Judas, who was one of the twelve disciples, and he went to the leading priests and captains of the temple guard to discuss the best way to betray him. Satan loves to look for little avenues, little doors and windows in our life. And what we look look at is Judas betrayed Jesus for how many pieces of silver? 30. That wasn't that, that much money back then. Uh, it was a few months wages of a common laborer. It would be about $200 in today's society. Uh, in the Old Testament, if your, if your animal gored and killed a slave, then you had to pay 30 pieces of silver to the owner of that slave. It wasn't like winning the lottery, like where he was going to be set for the rest of his life. But he gave Satan a, a little door, a little avenue to go through. And, and, and the next thing you know, he steals a little bit. And I imagine he stole a little bit more and a little bit more. And then he ends up having this major betrayal. I, I told this story on social media a couple, couple of weeks ago. But on President Day weekend, I came home and there was water in my garage. And so we investigate, of course. You know, I, I get out and I look and I'm thinking, okay, we have a refrigerator. Is it coming from there? And, and then I look in the water softener. Is it coming around from there? And I'm thinking, oh, yeah, I think it's the water softener. So I call my water softener guy on Monday morning. It's a holiday. He didn't want to work. I think, okay, no, no problem. It's not that much water. It, it'll be fine. I come home from, from church on Monday, and now I don't just have water in my garage, but I have it in my laundry room. And I realize, chances are, it's probably not my water softener. I probably have a bigger problem, but I'm still hopeful. Lord, let it just be the water softener, because that's an easy fix. 
But we have life group, and that's our small group ministry, and people are coming over to my house, and as we're watching the video, I can see in the corner of my eye, there's more water coming in front of our fireplace. And I realized I got a big problem. And then my kids or my wife, they noticed that there was water in a few different places on the carpet in a few different places. And you know, you start imagining, oh man, I've got a slab leak, or I got a leak in the wall, and... And so we make the decision, we shut off the water, and, and the leak's not getting, as worse, or not getting any worse. And so we realize, okay, it's definitely not the water softener, and it's definitely some kind of leak in the wall or in the slab. And so, man, I'm just praying that night. I'm like, Lord, help it not to be that bad. But then the other thing that we discovered is, when you shut off the water to your house, you use the water for a lot of things. <laughs> you go to brush your teeth. You need water. Use the restroom, and you go to wash your hands. You need water. I get thirsty sometimes in the middle of the night. I need water. You just begin to water that you took for granted, and all of a sudden you realize how important that is. So I call a plumber to come out, and I end up having to call one of those expensive plumbers because I was like, man, I need them to come now. Did they come now? No. They came much later than what they said they were going to come. He said, well, I think it's right there in the wall. And then he, and you see the picture up on screen. He cuts a, cuts a hole in the wall, and it's right underneath my hot water heater. And he says, you see all that green stuff? You can probably just barely see it in the, in the picture. He said, this started off as just a little drip. He said, but now it's just spraying water everywhere. And I said, yeah, I can see that. I'm, I'm not the smartest tool, but I, I can see it spraying water. He said, yeah, it just started off as a little drip. And then it's made this huge mess for you. And that made me think, isn't that what sin does? It just starts off as just a little drip, and then it makes a, a big mess. Uh, we, we see it all the time in, in life. Isn't that how adultery works? Uh, someone... Maybe your marriage is going through a hard time. Maybe it's a difficult season. You feel disconnected and, and someone flirts with you and gives you a little bit of attention. And, and instead of ignoring it, instead of fleeing, instead of telling your spouse, you listen to it. Drip, drip. Maybe you even return the little flirt. Next thing you know, you maybe send a text or an email, you communicate. Maybe they brush up against you. Maybe you find time to have lunch or something like that. And next, next thing you know, all those drips turned into a huge mess. And then you, then you come and talk to me and you say, well, how did this happen? And I say, it all started with the drip. Isn't that what sin does? It starts off just small, just a little drip, a little drip. And if we don't fix the drip, then it turns into something big and messy, and ugly. I think that's the same thing that happened with Judas. It was a little drip. He had a little bit of greed in his life. He didn't deal with it. He stole a little bit, and he didn't deal with it. We, we all have little drips in our life. We have to be aware of that. I, I was talking to a man last week. He, he said, you know, I brought my son to church it wasn't this church, but he brought, brought his son to church. Uh, they read the Bible. They prayed. They did all of these things. And he said, you know, my son now is a teenage father. And he said, I don't know how this took place. And I said, well, it started with the drip. Just you put your boundaries down. 
And, and if you don't have people that you can confess your sin to, if you don't have people that can hold you accountable, guess what? You will end up having a big mess in your life. Here's the thing. You can have a big mess in your life, and Judas definitely teaches us to deal with our drips. But he also tells us, or he also teaches us about how to deal with remorse. And actually, it's a pretty sad lesson on remorse. We're going to, going to see that it, it's pretty sad. Uh, Matthew chapter 27 says this. Very early in the morning, the leading priests and the elders of the people met again to lay plans for putting Jesus to death. Then they bound him and led him away and, and took him to Pilate, the Roman governor. And when Judas, who had betrayed him, realized that Jesus had been condemned to die, he was what? Filled with remorse. That, that's a good thing, right? When you do something wrong, when you do something, when you make a bad decision, when you make a mistake, you want to be filled with, with remorse. So he took what? 30 pieces of silver back, the money that he got. He took it back to the leading priests and the elders, and he says, I have sinned. I mean, Yes, Judas, in our minds, he's a villain, he's a bad guy, but we got to realize he had remorse. He confesses that he has sinned. He declares, for I have betrayed an innocent man. He realizes that Jesus didn't do anything wrong. What do we care, they retorted. That's your problem. That's your religious leaders right there. Man, you got to love those guys, right? I mean, way to show compassion. Then Judas threw the silver coins in the temple, went out, and hanged himself. Isn't that a sad scripture? I mean, if we've been affected, some of you in this room, you've been affected by suicide. And you know the pain, and you know the suffering, and you know that that's not an easy thing to go through. And as I thought about this, I thought about the two different types of remorse. There's a good remorse and there's a bad remorse. Benjamin L. Corey says, good remorse is behavior-focused and inspires change. But bad remorse is self-focused and invites what? Shame. Good remorse, while painful in the moment, leads to a change of course. A deeper empathy for how your behavior impacts others and results in an internal commitment to try to live differently. We need good remorse. We want to have good remorse. But bad remorse is equally painful in the moment, but leads to a different result. Instead of focusing on our behavior, impact, how it impacted someone and wanting to live differently as a result, we internalize, we internalize the behavior and subconsciously allow ourselves to take on the identity of our behavior. And the results in deep shame, self-loathing, and ultimately despair, the kind of despair I imagine that Judas felt. We've had those times in our life that we've made a mess, right? That, that, that we've made mistakes. And sometimes we can go back and we can fix those. We can go back and say, hey, I'm sorry, and we can do everything that we can to repair the relationship or the situation. But there's times that we've made mistakes that, you know what, no matter how many times you say you're sorry, you just have a huge mess on your hands. And I feel like that's where Judas was at. Judas 
began to have this remorse as his identity. He was wearing the shame. Remorse is that voice in your head that will tell you one of two things. Good remorse says, I did this, I regret the pain I caused, and won't do it again. While bad remorse says, I am this, and I hate myself for it. Some of you this morning, you're struggling with some bad remorse. Satan is telling you that you're filled with shame, that, that, that you're no good, that your identity is by the actions, by the choices that you've made. And what I want to remind you this morning is that Jesus is a great restorer. And he takes messes and he restores you and restores the situation in ways that we don't even think are possible. You know, Judas wasn't the only one that made a big mistake. We know that Peter also denied Christ. And we're going to talk about this, especially around Easter time. But Peter was restored, and he found forgiveness. Some of you this morning, you, you need to find forgiveness. You need to let go. You need to surrender everything. You, you, you've surrendered a lot of things, but that mistake, that choice, that, that messy situation, you've held on, and, and it's just been eating you up. I, I want to encourage you to let go, to take those chains off. I, I want to encourage you to let that good remorse have you repent to confess your sin, to examine those drips in your life, but to, to let go of the bad remorse. I, I want to leave you with three questions, three questions that I would encourage you to write down in your journal. Is Jesus my rabbi or is he my Lord? If he's Lord, are there any areas that I need to surrender to him? Is there any areas that I have surrendered to him that I've taken back? Are there pathways? Are there doors? Are there windows? Are there cracks in my life where Satan tempts me? Where are the drips in my life? What areas that am I tempted out most? Is there a time that I'm tempted most? And then thirdly, do I have any bad remorse that I need to let go of? Am I holding on to shame? Who can I encourage and to let go of bad remorse or shame? See, the cross, Jesus died for your sin, and you're free.